Welcome to Real Deep Stuff. We've saved your seat at the table for this conversation. We're so glad you're here. I'm so excited to introduce you guys today to a very dear friend of mine, Renee Ratcliffe. She has agreed to come on to talk about her struggle through an eating disorder, specifically anorexia. Well, she's going to talk about that and what she's doing now. And I'm so excited. What a full circle of hope and redemption and healing. Let's get started. Well, good morning, Renee. We are so happy that you're here with us. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Yes, me too, Christy. Thank you. Absolutely. We've been friends for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. COVID did that weird, everyone had to run to their houses mm-hmm. thing, and I feel yeah. like I haven't seen some people in so long. It's really good to see you in person. Yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah. So a long time at pre-COVID. Anything right. pre-COVID seems like a long time ago. True. True. Yeah. <laughs> So we had evenings, uh, women's evenings at church where we would mm-hmm. share things. And right. I got to hear your story mm-hmm. that you presented one night about your history with anorexia. Mm-hmm. And knowing you after that, and right. then now that you have a baking business, right. I right. just, ha- you, you haven't left me, like my thoughts. I'm like, I want to find out how did she get from A to B? <laughs> right. <laughs> what is that journey? Right. We want the pre-journey leading up. You know, mm-hmm. to the anorexia, and then like the healing, and then like how you are today right. in doing yeah. what maybe some would think could be the impossible mm-hmm. with where you've come from. So we thank you in advance for your vulnerability to Thanks. share. Sure. And I just have, I'll have curious questions for okay. you that I think okay. I'm not the only one thinking. So um, just if you don't mind sharing your mm-hmm. story, and I may interject a question here and there sure. if that's okay. Sure. All right, Renee Ratcliffe. Okay, well, thank you. Um, and I think, Christy, a long time ago I heard you say something when you were sharing your story, how you said, you know, really, this is God's story. And that really encouraged me um, to feel the freedom to share the things that could be painful or even shameful if we let our minds go there. And just thinking that, yes, um, my story is is his story, what he has been doing in my life, and I want to point it all back to him. And, you know, talking about my uh, past with an eating disorder, specifically anorexia, it's not easy. It's been 25 years since my recovery, but, you know, it still brings up things that that are difficult and painful, but if it could help perhaps one person, then then that's worth it. And thank you for creating a safe place that's comfortable to share and that we have that kind of friendship that um, invites me to be open about these things. And thank you for creating this whole platform in which you invite people to share their stories in an effort to comfort or encourage or speak to someone else who's going through something that seems very painful, but to know that we're not alone is enormously, enormously helpful. So thank you for using this as ministry to other people. Well, it's it, it's all, it's awkward and a bit audacious to ask people to sure, say, hey, will sure. you come just open that box in your heart that's <laughs> right, so right. painful? Mm-hmm. But, um, I just believe, I truly believe that the healing and growth that we get from our pain is not meant for just ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we are built right. for community. Mm-hmm. So I just can't thank you enough because um, it's it's pretty, you know, bold to say, would you please come mm-hmm. and, 
and share. Mm-hmm. And so, but you have such a sweet, giving, generous heart, mm-hmm. and you give so much of all the other parts of yourself mm-hmm. to so many people all the time. So this is a tender part, and I recognize that. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I will. Um, hopefully, I will not overstep. <laughs> right. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I trust that. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, my story with anorexia is a little different in that, well, actually, it may not be that different, but in my perception, it was different because I was 25 years old when I was diagnosed with anorexia. And at the time, that felt especially shameful to me because I perceived it as something that only happened to teenagers. And I thought, well, I'm well past that. Why is this happening to me? Why is this my struggle? And part of my recovery plan was to be a part of a support group, which I was very resistant about because I thought that I would easily be the oldest person in the support group. And then actually when I got there, I realized that to my surprise, I was one of the youngest people. Really? Mm -hmm. In my support group at 25 (sighs) years old. So that really opened my eyes to the stereotype that people have around eating disorders and that it's something that can affect men and women at any age. But for me, I was 25 when I was diagnosed and never really thought that that would be part of my story. I actually struggled with my weight and being overweight in middle school and in part of high school. Any anything in middle school is just exponentially yeah. harder. I call oh, middle absolutely. school the years of cannibalism. It was it was very painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't imagine. So I faced a lot of bullying, both from my peers and also from. I had a relative who was just particularly harsh to me in his words, and you know would would say things like, "Well, Renee, you're just as big as the side of a barn." That's right, right, incredibly rude. Right, so that's something that wow. you know, has stayed with me my whole life. Sure, it would. Um, yeah. So, and then of course, middle school. You know, my peers in middle school were were very. Um, it, it was just a painful, really painful time. Um, but then, weight wasn't particularly an issue for me in my later high school years and then in my college years. It's not something that I really ever thought about. I kind of got back to what would be a normal weight, I guess, for me in that season of my life and then uh, met John and got married. Was the, what, Can I ask, was getting those extra pounds going away, was that, was that intentional or did you just maybe feel like you kind of grew into your adult I just kind of started, yeah, growing into an adult body, changing some things about lifestyle factors, just becoming more active. It wasn't something, I wasn't intentionally trying to diet. So it, I don't remember from like years 16 to 24 really thinking a lot about my weight or it being a consuming part of my life. So... Um, so more of a natural progression, mm-hmm, growing mm-hmm. out of and right. into, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Then when I was newly married, at the time I also had a job in special education. Uh, that's what my degree is in. And I don't know what the naming or classification would be now as these things change, but back then I was a teacher for severe and profoundly disabled children. Mental, and physical, both? Both. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 In fact, um, 
in my first couple of years of teaching, I lost three of my students. Oh, I'm so sorry. Just because that was the extent of their disability. Their lives were so fragile. And uh, so that was very, very painful oh. time. Wow. And I internalized a lot of that, that grief, that stress. It was a very difficult job. And I knew that I had some uh, perfectionism in me and I wanted so badly to do something for these children, to, to make a difference in their lives, to help them overcome some of these enormous uh, disabilities that they were facing. And the, the progress with them was very slow. Sometimes it felt almost invisible. And I just felt like I wasn't doing very much or wasn't being very successful. And I was newly married and trying to figure that out as well. And you know, just trying to learn what it means to have a husband and be a wife. And that combined with a very stressful job, it was really starting to take its toll on me. And one day um, I noticed at the gym, we didn't have, we've never had scales at home but I would weigh myself at the gym. Oh, that's 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 probably really, you know, good advice to not have a scale at right. home because it can honestly make or break my mood mm-hmm. for the entire day. Oh, and absolutely. I know that's wrong. And no, I, I, I yes. And every time I go to get on I go, okay, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to let this ruin your mm-hmm. day. And that it still does. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So we've Sorry. never had scales at home, but I was probably working out maybe three to five times a week at the gym mm-hmm. after school and I weighed myself one day and I thought well you know I've, I've put on about 10 pounds since my wedding weight and that's really not that much but in my mind it felt like a lot and that's pretty normal mm-hmm. yeah. once you get married it's yeah. that kind of going into that comfort right you know, of course new, like home and I think mm-hmm. that's pretty common right yeah right but in my mind it, it felt like a lot mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I need to start doing something about this, I think. So started cutting back on my eating, started exercising more. And exercise was a big part of my stress relief. I would go directly from school to the gym and work out. And my workouts would, you know, go from what would seem kind of typical to becoming more and more extreme. Yeah, because I'm thinking exercise in moderation for stress relief is awesome. Right, I mean, that's right. But not two hours. At but the no, time but not extreme. When I'm already tired. Sure. You know, just working myself into exhaustion. Did you realize it was ramping up, or or did it just kind of happen? It just kind of okay. happened. Okay. You know, so that was happening while at the same time I thought, okay, well, I'm going to cut back on what I'm eating too, and just be more watchful and careful about that. So, of course, I started to lose weight, and it started to feel good at first. Sure. And I started to feel, oh, well, I'm actually doing something right, because I wasn't, felt like I wasn't doing anything else right at mm-hmm. that point in my life. Started, That's hard as a new wife. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't at all anything that John was doing sure. or saying. He was, he's an amazing husband. He, he was, and from the beginning, he is now. It wasn't at all him. It was just how I was perceiving myself. Well, there's this invisible bar in our society, mm-hmm. this unattainable, and, and the bar moves for different people. It's just, 
to try to feel like I think women struggle. I know men do too, but I think women struggle especially hard with that whole like, mm-hmm. my enough and my doing enough. And right. There was a Nike ad. It was in a magazine, a black and white, and I cut it out and I framed it. And it's a woman running, and mm. it says, "You are a wife. You are a mother. You're the inspiration for all womanhood." Mm. So just to go toward, um, it doesn't have to be anybody telling you you are or are not doing something right. right. We, our voice is strong enough right. to make us question. Yeah. yeah, and that's it. Was a theme throughout my life, whether I was struggling with my weight or not. I still had this undercurrent within myself of, "Am I enough? Am I doing good enough?" You know, I was really driven to be a straight-A student through high school, through college. Really wanted to please people, wanted to please my parents. I just never felt like I was doing enough, I was worthy enough, I was good enough. So I was constantly striving to prove myself to my own self, not to anyone else. I might, I might have framed it that way, but really I was trying to prove myself, my own worth to me. This often happens with the case of people who struggle with eating disorders, specifically anorexia. They have, not always, but it's common to have a um, struggle with perfectionism, to have a sense of wanting to control things, and what might start out as, I'm going to try to take off a few pounds, starts to spiral into an insatiable need to control. Mm and I couldn't control what was going on in my classroom. I couldn't control the progress of my students, but I could control what I was putting in my mouth. And I was finding success in that. And if that was the one place in my life where I could be successful, then I was determined that I was gonna be really good at it. Did you find your body kind of resisting or going along with that? Oh, I think think my body just went right along with that. Um, because when you start starving your brain, then you just can't make reasonable choices. You mm-hmm. can't see things for what they really are. I knew I was losing weight, but it felt successful. It felt good to me. It felt sure. like a performance measure that I was finally achieving. A win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't even really remember being hungry. I just remember feeling so satisfied with something that was going right in my life, that it was worth it if I felt hungry. And if I felt hungry, then that was a indication that, okay, I'm doing this well. Okay. Which doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to say, but when you're starving your brain, you start to go down this path, you just can't think that through clearly, and you can't see the truth for what it is anymore. I think probably psychologically and like physically, the mind is not oh, functioning. Right. You know, whether it be dehydration or right, absolutely calorie starving mm-hmm. or whatever, it's like nothing's working. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. And you just continue to listen to the lies. Looking in the mirror, it it was very true that I might never see myself the way that other people saw me, um, truthfully, because. I saw someone who still had some work to do. Mm. I could still stand to go run a little bit more or cut back a little further. And that was absolutely a lie, but but I completely believed it. So when you saw the number on the scale of the gym going down, did you look in the mirror and see a body getting thinner or did you see, you know, your perception of yourself? 
I saw my perception of myself as there's still work to do. Mm. You know, mm. not quite, you're not quite there yet. You might not be thin enough yet. So, did you have a picture in your mind's eye of what is yet? Like, what is the end game that you wanted to look like? No, I don't know. Because in reality, the way that I looked when I got at my lowest point in my eating disorder was not at all attractive. I lost my hair. I started to have a lot of trouble with my teeth. My skin started to turn kind of this ashen gray color. Mm. I had a child one time ask me, why did I look like a skeleton? Whoa. And why did I think, at this point, I'm not, it's not even, I'm not even trying to be attractive at this point because there's nothing attractive about that except inside I have this need for control. And if Mm -hmm. I start eating... In my mind, I think I'm never going to stop eating once I start. Oh, wow. And I'll be back to that person who was as big as the side of a barn, was the refrain in my head. So those were your only two options, Mm -hmm. to basically never eat, just eat enough to live, Mm -hmm. or be as big as the side of a barn. Right. So for you, it wasn't like a certain dress size or pant size you were trying Mm -hmm. to get to or whatever. No. Wow. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. children are brutally honest. Yeah, they don't mean to be mean. No, They're just no. transparently she honest. She was just trying them. to understand yeah. what was happening. Yeah, so. yeah. They don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. That's that's why their words, I think, can carry more weight than adults right, because right. they're just honest. Right. She said what everyone else was thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. So where did you go from there? Once was that a wake up call, or or what happened that mm-hmm. triggered that you were like, okay, maybe I need help? Right, right. So that that certainly made me wonder: is she right? Maybe she maybe she's seeing something that that I'm not realizing. And then one day I was on the treadmill um, at the gym and running, running, running. Probably had been there a couple hours. Um, and the manager at the gym came and told me to stop running, took me in the office and said that they were terminating my gym contract and really not allowed to come back. I'm I'm sure you see why they did that now, but at the time, what did that feel like? I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I was devastated and instantly started to think, well, how far, how how far do I have to go around my neighborhood to do the equivalent of what I'm going to be missing at the gym now? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I was, I was devastated. My mind is racing. I'm thinking they're probably thinking for your best interest. Mm-hmm. They're also probably thinking their life. They're trying to protect themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the image mm-hmm. they want to right. give to society of why you want to come join the gym. So that must have been feeling like a hit on all sides for right, you. Right, right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, that was devastating, but it was also a good wake-up call. And a lot of my friends and family were were trying to talk with me as lovingly as they could, but with a lot of concern. And um, I had a a pastor's wife who spoke with me as well, and and she was one voice that I I really um, respected and received and thought, okay, it's, it's time to do something. There is something not right here. I can't keep doing this. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, I, I and I, I will say this forever, I think issues with food 
can be some of the hardest. And, and I speak from a point of ignorance in that I've never smoked a cigarette and I've mm-hmm. never had a drinking problem. But from my point mm-hmm. of view, like you can still live your whole life without ever doing those ever again. Mm-hmm. If you can get to that point right. in recovery right. to like never... Right. But you can't not eat again. I mean, you will die. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is such a hard issue to get through. Because you have to make peace, but this has to stay Mm -hmm. in your life. Yeah. So how did, so you said you had a support network then. Mm -hmm. So that was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, John and my family, my friends were so steadfast and so loving and Mm -hmm. so... That this is part. There's this is their story too, because mm-hmm. we went through such pain together. Mm-hmm. But they stayed um, when it would have been a lot easier to have just. I I don't know what they would have done, but but they stayed faithfully and loved me through that. I think I remember you saying one time that John picked you up mm-hmm. off the physically. Yeah. Because you had collapsed or mm-hmm. something or fainted? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I fainted in the shower. Oh. And uh, I crawled out. I couldn't stand. And he just had to physically pick me up and get me back on mm-hmm. my feet. And then um, that was one time where, where we went to the hospital. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I guess they gave you IV mm-hmm. nutrition. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Did you fight that part of you, or or did you kind of realize that? I think at that point I was just so exhausted that I had no fight in me. Mm. Yeah, and it was right before Christmas. It was just a few days before Christmas when that happened. And I knew that I was breaking John's heart, and I was breaking my parents' hearts. And my mom asked me, why are you killing yourself? We just don't understand. And I started to think, am I killing myself? Well, I guess maybe I am. But that was never my intent. Never, ever. Mm-hmm. But I began to see it for, for what it was. I think when people are struggling psychologically, it can look different than physically because maybe someone first, you know, they have a job loss you know, mm-hmm. or, or healthcare scare or something that they, that they couldn't control. And then the depression spiral can go down and you can start to see like maybe they don't, they don't do as many social things and then, you know, they don't maybe get out of bed or whatever. But mm-hmm. to like to physic for family and friends to physically watch your, right. your body just right. waste away, mm-hmm. that yeah. must have been terrifying. Mm-hmm. I know they were terrified. And helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Did your um, faith play a part in your recovery or not? It, yes, it absolutely did. It was, my faith has been as fundamental to me as my last name you know, throughout my whole life. It's just part of who I am. And I went through um, a lot of different stages in my recovery. You know, at first, I went to a counselor that our insurance would pay for. Mm-hmm. And this counselor was not a faith-based, was not a Christian counselor. And it just did not work. Because I knew, I knew that deep within this had something to do with my core identity and how I saw myself before God. I knew that was a large part and the root of my eating disorder. 
And it wasn't until John and I finally decided, no matter what it takes, we're, we're going to go to Christian counseling and get to the root of this. And my first meeting with the Christian counselor, she gave me a book called When God Interrupts by M. Craig Barnes. And I was very confused because I thought, well, aren't you going to give me a book about eating or right. nutrition mm-hmm. or meal plans? Right, all that. right. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the kind of book you want me to read? Um, but this was actually a book about what it means to let Jesus come into your life and interrupt everything and get to the place where we realize that all we have is Him and that if we are grasping at control, you could say if if I was trying to order my life to this level, it's no wonder that I fell into disorder because only He is the one who is able to take my life and then all of its broken pieces and bring it back into a place of wholeness. He is the one who has perfect control and I needed to step off of that throne and put him back on it and trust him and get back to a place where I realized that in my life I had been working so hard to be so good at everything that I had been working really hard to be good at my faith. I wanted to be working at being a good Christian and in essence that meant that I had a completely false understanding of grace. Mm. I have been working for grace, which in and of itself doesn't make any sense because grace is a gift. Grace Mm -hmm. is his undeserved favor and love, something that you don't have to work for. It's not something that you achieve. Grace is something that you receive. And all of my life, I have been a grace achiever, which of itself doesn't even fit. Mm-hmm. I had to position myself in my life to receive grace and say, I'm not worthy because I look a certain way or I weigh this number or I make straight A's or I'm a great teacher or a good wife. Jesus makes me worthy because he chose to die for me and give his life for me. And it was finally when I got to that point of understanding and trusting that that I started to move forward in my recovery. I understand that mile of your journey. Um, I walked that with grace and unconditional love. I Mm -hmm. just thought that, yeah, I know he loves me, but I want to score some gold stars, some brownie points, you know? Mm -hmm. I had no concept of what unconditional grace or love meant. Mm -hmm. But when it clicks, it's Mm -hmm. just like you can't go back to that old way like you can't unknow that now mm-hmm. like what it really means right. and it changes right. everything mm-hmm. it's like if you're walking in one direction it's like a 180 right. like whoa that's true and i didn't realize mm-hmm. i was also loving and giving grace conditionally mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. everyone around me i didn't even realize that 100 mm-hmm. percent lying to it mm-hmm. and then after that it's like oh now I get it. Mm-hmm. And then now I can forgive. Right. I can ask mm-hmm. for forgiveness. I mm-hmm. can, all those things. So, like, I hear what you're saying. And yeah. it's something you just wish everyone could experience for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's a game changer. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I um, got to the point where I was still going to church, the church that I grew up in, the church that my parents uh, attended. And one day, they, my parents approached me and asked me if I might not come to church anymore, or at least that church, because people were starting to ask them questions. What's wrong with Renee? Does she have cancer? Why does she look this way? She must be really sick. What's going on? They asked me, you know, maybe you just don't show up anymore because that's really painful for us. And, you know, I don't fault them for that at all. I have nothing but the deepest regret for what I put them through. And I know that they were just in such pain. So I don't fault them for, at all for saying that. I mean, nobody knew what to do. I mean, really. It, and now that I have a 20-something daughter, I can't imagine, you know, what they went through. So I don't fault them for that, but it was just another punch in the gut, you know, to be Absolutely. asked to not come to church because I was embarrassing. Oh, um, oh, it makes me angry yeah. in a that righteous anger kind of way. Like, yeah, like, yeah. But, oh my gosh. Yeah, like, but again, you know, I I'm not angry with them because I, you know, I I can only imagine. You know, I can see the pain on I can see the pain on their faces mm -hmm. when they're mm -hmm. when they're saying that. Mm -hmm. So. But I did. I, you know, I continued to go to church. Sean and I continued to go to church. We would sit towards the back, and I, you know, don't ever really remember talking to a lot of people during that time. But I knew that I needed to be in church somehow. And I remember one sermon. Our pastor had all of the lights brought down in the sanctuary so that it was dark, completely dark in the sanctuary. But he had a candle up on the podium or the pulpit and even from way back where I was I could see the flame and his point was related to a verse in Isaiah 42 that says a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish and he said I don't know but I know that there's someone here who needs to know that that you might be on the brink of just being snuffed out you know, you might just be barely holding on, but a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. And that gave me so much hope, because I saw myself in that little flickering flame that he was going to do what it took to fulfill his purposes in me, mm -hmm. not in my strength and getting better and not in my doing great in my recovery but because he was going to provide everything I needed each step of the way to get better and to be well again. Wow, mm -hmm. what a word of hope. Yeah. You must yeah. have felt like you were the only one in the room I in every kind of did. good way. <laughs> I absolutely did. I, wow. I knew that that was a word for me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. So what did, what was recovery for you? Like did you go in hospital? Did you do it at home? Mm -hmm. uh, my, my recovery was all outpatient, which now I look back now and think that that's miraculous because mm -hmm. I was down to just 70 something pounds. Oh my gosh. Very. Wow. Yeah, very critical. And how tall are you? I'm 5'4". So I was, you know, a bit at a very critical point, yes. but I had a nutritionist, a doctor, and my Christian counselor that I saw weekly and checked in with them whenever I had to, whenever I needed to. 
So yes, all of my recovery was outpatient. And Did they give you a sponsor or no? A mentor, a sponsor? Mm-mm. No. Okay. no, I didn't know. Like some no. with AA or whatever. I know they. No, no. Up, well, but. part of my recovery was to go to the support group, like okay. I said. Yeah. So I, I didn't have anyone individually who mm-hmm. mentored me, but I had to be part of the support group. That was part of. I signed a contract. Okay. They asked me to sign a contract that I would comply with all of the conditions of my recovery, or I would have to go into the hospital. Oh wow. All right. So part of the contract was that I would attend a weekly support group, which I hated, mm-hmm. but I did it, mm-hmm. and I had to. Maybe, tell me if I'm wrong, maybe partly because you don't really want to share all your personal things with strangers, and maybe you don't feel like you have the emotional capacity to hear all of their problems. Right. Either right. of those. Right. Close. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't go to support mm-hmm. groups because of one or both of those right. reasons. Right. Yeah. But in the same way, like I told you earlier, to just to be there took a little bit of that shame off mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I started to see, oh, okay, well, I'm 25, 26 at this point, perhaps. And there are other women in here who are my age, perhaps older. So I felt less alone. Yeah. So there was value in that. Yeah. Yeah. When so. people try to do whatever suffering or challenge their fate when they try to do it alone I mm-hmm. mean, that is where the danger zone right. is because we can think dark things mm-hmm. and we can play dark tricks right and right i do believe there's safety in numbers mm-hmm. right right so i went on eventually to have my own support group that i led at my house oh wonderful which was healing and that was a great part of my recovery yeah but initially yes i was resistant to it yeah Wow, and then you you flipped to the whole other side where you were mm-hmm. doing one in your home as a leader. Right. That's fantastic. Um, what would you say, like, how would you describe how it feels to be basically on a, like, a daily um, mindset when you were suffering with anorexia mm-hmm. to a daily mindset of now meaning, like, your self-worth and your purpose and that kind of thing? Like, what's, what's the contrast compare? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I struggled with when I was anorexic is that, I, and I think I even told my sister-in-law this at one point, I told her, I said, I feel like I have the scarlet letter. I have a big red A that I'm carrying around with me everywhere I go because I have a mental illness that I can't hide. It's mm-hmm. very obvious to everyone that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, my scarlet A stands for anorexia. And she just squarely looked me in the eye and she said, no, your A means that you are adored. Oh. And you are accepted. Wow. And so I started bringing that into my daily mindset. Mm-hmm. That when I would look at myself in the mirror, I would say, I'm adored and I'm accepted. And that had to be part of my core identity and the talk that I would tell myself. So that started to change my mindset. My therapist tells me on a regular basis is this line I hear all the time is rewriting the script in your brain, right. mm-hmm. in your mind, just rewriting the script. Right. It sounds like that's right. exactly mm-hmm. what you were doing. Mm-hmm. That's pa- And it's a powerful tool. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So the perfectionism and the control. Mm-hmm all of that, what is that like now, if I could ask? 
it's still a struggle, to be honest. Um, I still daily have to remember that all is grace and that I have nothing to prove. Um, I used to tell myself that the weight of my worth falls on Jesus and not on me. And there are a lot of things in my life right now that I cannot control. <laughs> um, but instead of that causing me to you know, plant my feet in the ground and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to will this into the way it needs to be. I've kind of learned how to just open my hands and say, Lord, I need you in this because I can't control it. It may not look the way I want it to, but let it be how you want it to be. And that's something I have to do daily. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And walking in this new normal for mm-hmm. you, uh, I remember I hadn't even like met you when, or didn't know you well when you got your master's. But yeah. I remember you wearing mm-hmm. your your graduate garb to church, and I remember watching you come out, and I was like, "Wow, she looks cool! Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> looks so official!" <laughs> and I thought, "Good for her," you know. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Then you went on to uh, right. for higher education, right? Right, because Christian counseling had been so transformative in my life. I felt like that was what God was calling me to do. And initially, when I started my degree, I wanted to work with other women who were struggling with eating uh, disorders. And um, But it took me 11 years to get my master's degree because when I started going to Gordon-Conwell, John and I had been married, I believe, about eight years or so. And the doctor had told us, because of the damage that I had done to my body, that we would likely not be having children. And I thought, okay, well, then I guess I'm all about career and ministry and seeing, you know, what that's going to look like outside of the home. And I think I was about three or four classes in when we discovered that Caroline was on the way. Oh, yay. And, I love that. Um, yeah, it's just, <laughs> just a miracle she is. Yeah. God's plan is unstoppable. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So we absolutely rejoiced in that mm-hmm. but also it also took me 11 years to get my, <laughs> to get my <laughs> master's degree which is tot- which was totally fine mm-hmm. but then by that point once I graduated with my master's degree I knew that God was doing something new in my heart and that that something has shifted within my desires mm-hmm. and I didn't know what he was going to do with my with my uh, counseling degree but I knew it was going to look different than I first planned and so here we are. Right, um, right. So now you have started a baking nonprofit right. business and um, would love to hear how that came to be mm-hmm. and how your degree maybe plays a part of that, your previous degree of special right. education, mm-hmm. all of that. So tell us right. about Cakeable right. Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Cakeable Charlotte is a nonprofit that uses the context of a bakery in order to teach job skills to individuals who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we are expanding Cakeable to also include a cafe so that we have a wider range of opportunities 
to include people and to teach them skills that they need to know to be successful in other job settings throughout the community. So our purpose is not only to employ people who have special needs, but to train them so that they can go out and be an employee perhaps at an, another coffee shop or another bakery in town because we believe we'll have the most impact by training and then providing businesses throughout the community with these awesome employees who want to work, are highly motivated, and just perhaps need a little extra in the way of skill building and support, but can absolutely be an asset to any business mm -hmm. around town. So mm -hmm. that's what we're about. Christy, I don't know if you really understand that you are a part of Cakeable's story. How? <laughs> I mean, I love your posts. I love to love yeah, them, and I yeah, pray for you guys. Yeah. So in 2013, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic called Wheels for the World, and that's where Johnny and Friends Ministries goes and refurbishes old and used wheelchairs and makes them into custom wheelchairs for people in uh, countries where they may not have such services. So uh, we went down there to the Dominican Republic with a team of mechanics and physical therapists to outfit people who had no assistance with mobility, outfit them with wheelchairs That's beautiful. and equipment. And it, it was an amazing opportunity, but I knew that I needed to raise support to do that. And the previous December, you had asked me to make some cake balls for your bake sale <laughs> for Samaritan's Purse. The bake sale. <laughs> yes, so I did. That was my first ever trying to bake cake balls or cake truffles or cake wow. pops or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So I contributed those to your bake sale, Puddles Bake Sale. I remember asking you mm -hmm. when you were like, oh, oh and I was like, I know you can do this. Yeah. I know you can bake. But yeah, I did. And then, then I had this opportunity to go on the mission trip and I realized, well, okay, Valentine's Day is coming up. Perhaps some people might want some cake pops or they might want some cake truffles. So I did that as a fundraiser for the Dominican Republic trip, and that completely funded my way wow. on that trip. That's and awesome. not only that trip, but also seven trips to Albania. Wow. Completely funded through baking. <sighs> and you planted the idea, Christy. <sighs> oh, stop, mm -hmm. you're a baby cry. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I chilled all over. Right, right. So oh, I got to go on these trips to Albania, which was incredible, mm -hmm. just transformative for mm -hmm. myself, along mm -hmm. with John and Caroline, because mm -hmm. they got to go too. And um, at one of these, on one of these mission trips, they knew that I had a background in special education and a background in counseling. So they asked if I might uh, do some training on disability etiquette and some special education training for a group of teachers and therapists. Because in Albania, special education was not necessarily a thing. They were just learning how to accommodate, how to serve children who have differences in learning and who have special needs. So they asked me if I would go speak. So I went to a place called the Jonathan Center to speak and to do that. And I, as I started speaking with them, I started to realize I think actually they they are farther along than they realize because I told them about Joy Prom at Carmel Baptist mm -hmm. and they were like, oh yeah, we have that too. 
And then um, that's cool. Yes, they did. They they <laughs> had Night to Shine in Albania, and it was just this amazing thing for them. So yes. they were like, oh yes, we had that. And they also at the Jonathan Center had a cafe, which was uh, in part staffed by people who have Down syndrome. So I'm in this weird place as an American in this country trying to tell them about disability etiquette and services and such, when in fact they are already offering these things. Hmm. So that's, I just stood there and said, you're already doing this. Mm -hmm. Just keep it up. You're doing an awesome job here. Mm -hmm. I came back to the States and started thinking about that and started thinking that would be amazing to have a bakery or a cafe where we employed people who have Down syndrome or other developmental disabilities. Yes. And that's how Capable was born. Wow. Mm -hmm. And the name. Mm -hmm. It's meant to sound like Capable. Love that. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want people to see in uh, our employees. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Mm -hmm. that so much. And your staff, your employees Mm -hmm. look like they have a blast. They're amazing. Yes. Yes, Yes, they are. (laughs) And you're in farmer's markets. We are. We are. So our our employees, they um, sell their baked goods at farmer's markets and at special events around town because they also need to learn the customer service skills and that's a wonderful setting for them Mm -hmm. to interact with customers Mm -hmm. and learn those skills and they take a lot of pride in putting their products out on a table and having customers come up and desire what they've created yes that really speaks a lot to them and increases their confidence and it's just a joy to see it is a Mm win-win for everybody right Right. Especially for the customers, <laughs> loving their goodies. And you, now yeah. you're going to have a brick-and-mortar storefront. We are. Cafe. Mm-hmm. We are. Right in Uptown, which is like really hard to get into. It's just been an amazing gift yeah. all along the way with Cakeable. God has just opened up opportunities that we would not have asked or imagined. Yeah. But that's who he is, and that's what he does. So, so you got your funding. We did. We did. It's we received a, a substantial grant from Mecklenburg County. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond what we expected, so yeah, just such a time mm-hmm. to rejoice and right. get excited about everything that's to come. And right. Right. Um, if I could just divert real quick, uh, do you find the food aspect of this, especially you know some indulgences like the mm-hmm. sweets and things, do you ever find a struggle back with with your former uh, pre-recovery mm-hmm. with anorexia? I do find it a little a little ironic. But not necessarily surprising because when I was struggling with anorexia, I just would go to the library and check out stacks and stacks of cookbooks Mm. and read those cookbooks, especially the baking books, Mm -hmm. because that's just what I was so interested in because I didn't understand it then, but I understand it now that that was my way of taking in food without taking in food. Vicariously. mm -hmm. Wow. Right. Okay. Right. So that's, that's hugely insightful for mm-hmm. you to know that. Right. Well, you know, I see it now. Didn't know it mm-hmm. then, but mm-hmm. yeah. So I was taking in food. So mm-hmm. yes, I had that. Like I said, stacks and stacks of cookbooks, and just would read oh. all all volumes about yeah. baking and such. Yeah. So now to be on this side of it, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily surprising yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it so cool that God goes back? He can take those weak points and make <laughs> right. them our strength. Yeah. And I see it's exactly mm-hmm. what he's right. done for you. Yeah. 
And I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And as we wrap up our time today, because speaking of capable, I know that you have lots of things on your agenda today. So I want to honor that. But well, first of all, we'll put all the contacts for capable in the show notes. Thank you. But where, just in case someone doesn't see the text, um, where can they reach out to you guys if they're interested in learning about who you are, what you do, if they want to support any of that? Thank you. Our uh, current website is capablecharlotte.com, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook, and we love to share what our amazing team is doing mm-hmm. on our social media pages, and anyone could reach out to me at renee at capablecharlotte.com. Okay, great. I was hoping that there'd be a contact for you in case right. there's other people that are wondering maybe it maybe they might be struggling with anorexia they don't mm-hmm. know or just you know yeah. whatever. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. thank you for being available yeah, for, for sure. that. What would you tell parents who worry their child? I know you were 25. I know this right. is an issue that can start in single digits now mm-hmm. for girls and boys, right. mm-hmm. lots of girls. What would you tell them for whether it be parents or siblings or spouses that might be worried right. about someone they love? Right. I know. My heart goes out to people now. I, I still receive emails. Do you? And just inquiries from people who have a loved one who they're suspicious, mm-hmm. might have an eating disorder, and... No, I tell them that, you know, especially parents, I tell parents that, you know, the dynamics for me were very different being 25 years old and also not at that point in my life having to deal with social media. I know it must be so much harder mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. than it was for me back then. But, you know, I, I would tell them to get someone else involved, okay. a Christian counselor, a nutritionist, a doctor, Make sure these people are on your team um, mm-hmm. because one thing that really started to drive a wedge in uh, our marriage was when John felt like he needed to put himself in the place of being the food police. Oh, yeah. And I, I just became very resistant to that, and mm-hmm. it only made me want to just dig in and be more stubborn. Sure. So That personal mm-hmm. with yeah. the love of your yeah. life. That's so not good. He wisely knew that he had to get somebody else involved mm-hmm. in that to do that for us and to hold me accountable in those ways. So mm-hmm. I would say definitely get someone else mm-hmm. involved who... Yeah. Who... Have, does that accountability who yeah. takes that place in your loved one's life so that yes. you don't have to do that because yes. making any kind of comments about, oh, you, you ate well today oh. only made me think, uh-oh, across the line mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. the other way, you, you know, being critical. Mm-hmm. You didn't eat enough today. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, it's mm-hmm. great. I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, go away. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So. That's a real thing. I had a friend mm-hmm. one time that actually lost her friendship over we were we said we'd be accountability partners to lose 10 pounds mm-hmm. 15 pounds whatever and when her plan wasn't working well she started avoiding me and yeah. actually mm-hmm. told me later she was like I I just every time I see you I think of yeah. the yeah. weight stuff and mm-hmm. I I don't want to have to tell you oh. I like lost yeah. her friendship mm-hmm. over that so yeah, yeah it's a real thing very smart couple last questions what are the most helpful and least helpful things someone can say to someone struggling with anorexia this is the elephants in the room right, here right <laughs> right you're it's that's difficult because you're right the elephant is in the room but as much as possible try to avoid any comments on externals because like i said anything that someone would frame frame to me in what 
seemed like a compliment, mm -hmm. I would take it and think the exact opposite. If someone would say, oh, you look good, in my mind, I would think, oh, I've obviously gained weight. Oh, wow. I've obviously put on pounds. They can see it. Now I'm freaking out. I've, you know. Wow. So any kind of comments about externals just off the table. Me. Yeah, okay. I, I would twist that. You know, mm -hmm. the enemy would twist that in my brain. Mm -hmm. You know, just the the people who really helped me were the people who saw me as more than a person struggling with anorexia. They were someone who said, "Hey, do you want to come over and do a puzzle?" You know, instead of, "Hey, do you want to go out to eat?" They mm -hmm. would find something else that we could do together that was not where food was not the center especially in this culture mm -hmm. food is the center of everything because right. right. we all have to eat mm -hmm. and it's a so social thing right. but not a right. good place for someone struggling yeah. with so the most disorder. helpful friends to me were friends who would find another way to engage with me mm -hmm. or to talk to me about what I was interested in because I was still a, I was still a person mm -hmm. So they would find other ways to for us to spend time together. I love that. And yeah, I yeah. love that. Mm -hmm. What would you tell someone who's struggling with anorexia or de eating disorder or wondering if they are yeah. like is, is this whatever they're thinking or doing is normal or not? Right, right. I would, I would say, get help. You reach out to someone. It's not something that you can fight on your own, and that's okay. It's really okay. Your worth is not the number. You know, I started to tell myself that uh, scales are for fish. Oh, <laughs> I get it. That's very clever. Right? I like right. that. And, you know, I would just tell myself, you know, you your weight is not your worth. You know, you are worthy of being loved. You are loved. The Father receives you just as you are, and He wants to love you in these hurt and broken places. And if you feel like a bruised reed or a dimly burning wick, that's okay. His purposes for you will prevail. Just let Him in and do that healing work in your heart. And counseling is okay. Medication is okay. It's often necessary when you've gotten to your physiological self to this point. I think our society, world hopefully, is finally crossing that bridge mm -hmm. into counseling is a good thing. Yeah. Almost yeah. like if you don't, haven't had or don't have a counselor at mm -hmm. some point, like why not? Yeah. You know, so yeah. like it's okay. Yeah, for sure. Because mm -hmm. this is a hard world to live in. Yeah. yeah, both what we deal with ourselves and how we fit into that larger puzzle mm -hmm. of the world. Uh, would you say the same message? Uh, what would you speak to someone with special needs that's listening or parents? Yeah, of? absolutely. That everyone is created on purpose for a purpose. We're all uniquely gifted and received and beloved. And your questions, Christy, are helping me see that, you know, I, I guess I do have a soft spot in my heart for people who feel like they're on the margins of receiving that love. God has no restraints on how he loves us. Yeah. And he's purposeful and he created each mm -hmm. one of us the right. way, right. exactly the way we're supposed mm -hmm. to be. And we can't mess up enough that he's going to give up. Yeah. He doesn't give up. 
Right. Mm -mm. You are living this beautiful life. You know, you're still married to John. Mm -hmm. You've got Mm -hmm. Caroline, who's absolutely precious. You've got this nonprofit that's just taking the community by storm, and hopefully they'll be capable Atlanta and LA and all these other places in New York, you know. (laughs) And so what I see in your message is hope. Mm -hmm. Hope that you can go from 77 pounds and feeling Mm -hmm. like you... Your toes were on the edge, right? Yeah. And that little flickering candle flame at yeah. church to to this today. Yeah. What a beautiful story! Yeah, it's all grace. Mm. I appreciate that you're an open book using the story reference, and I know that other people are going to listen to you and feel like if she can do it, so can I. Mm. And that's a beautiful gift to give someone that you may or may not ever meet. Mm-hmm. Your journey is making an impact. It made an impact on me years ago the first when I first heard you talk about it. And you are a source of inspiration. And we wish Capable all the success in the world. Thank and you. Individually of everyone a part of it. And then collectively mm-hmm. what you're doing is, is great. Thank you for sharing today. I know that we could go for hours because, like, I'm, I have infinite questions. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming and being a part of this. And it's going to reach the people it needs to. I believe that. Christ so. Thanks again. And w- will you come back again sometime? Of we'll, course. We'll talk more. I know there's yeah. probably a billion topics we can choose. <laughs> right. But, but yeah. your story is so important. And just can't thank you enough for sharing that today. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not intended to replace medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any medical concerns or questions, please consult a qualified healthcare professional. Thanks again for listening to Real Deep Stuff. Follow us and subscribe to save your seat at the table for the next conversation. Also, check out our Facebook page to continue the conversation on today's topic. We'll see you there.